All right, guys, welcome to Property Profits Podcast. I'm your host, Bryce Kaminsky, filling in for Dave Dubow. And, you know, if you've ever wondered how to conquer the corporate world by day and build a real estate empire by night, my guest today, Chase Canova, has cracked the code from creative financing to turning fire damaged properties into gold mines. He's got the blueprint. Welcome to the showcase, uh, Chase. I'm excited to dive in. Hey, thanks, Bryce. Really appreciate you having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, no problem. That's uh, it's it's always my pleasure. So, a couple of interesting things we're going to touch on in the episode, um, like the fire damage properties and a couple of things. But you know, the the main question that everyone always has, they're standing around a networking event. You know, it usually has something to do with a rich dad, poor dad book. Um, how'd you get started? You know, how'd you cut your teeth in the business? What was your first like entry into this wild west? Yeah, that's a good question. I appreciate you asking it. So um, as a young investor, um, you know, a young real estate investor now, I'm 25. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of follows the trend throughout my life. I really got into entrepreneurship really young. Yeah. Started my first business detailing cars at 12. And before that, I, you know, broke my Boy Scout troops record selling popcorn, hitting all the high-end neighborhoods uh, in the town where I grew up. So um, I feel like that's kind of where I got my start with the entrepreneurial bug. And then did, did things here and there throughout middle school, high school, and college. Left college in the middle of COVID in 2020. Left James Madison University where I went. Very, very mm -hmm. proud, uh, proud alum and proud Duke. And uh, started my corporate job. And at the time, I was an area sales manager for one of the big automakers. And I had that job. I knew it was the best job I had. And in all intents and purposes, it was a great job. But... You know, I, could, I still, there's still something missing. I can only just call it a good job. I couldn't really wholeheartedly say I felt like I had a great job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the way society, it, society is, it, it was, you know, it checked all those boxes for meeting the criteria of a good job or a great job. But for me, something was missing. So I said, you know what? I've had all these side hustles my whole life, um, all these different things. So, you know what? I've always been interested in real estate and I've always had limiting beliefs holding me back. So I think it's finally time as an adult with a college degree and with a corporate job that, like I said, is the best job I found is the best option I had, but I still felt like something was missing. I said, let's try this real estate thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, first year in the business, I was, um, well, first few months was just cold calling after work, two hours a day after work, just cold calling and uh, trying to, you know, reach uh driving for dollars leads uh, after skip tracing them. So I'd either drive drive for dollars or I'd cold call and, um, you know, leave voicemails, send texts and all that. Just make sure if I couldn't reach them, they still had a way to get back to me and knew the reason for my call. And after several months of doing that, I got my first deal under contract, which was really exciting. And then Bryce, it was law of the first deal from there on out. Um, I was pick up the check for the first deal. And I get an email, the next seller wants to sell and we mm -hmm. have a contract ready to go. Um, and then it just kept going from there. So first year was wholesaling. You mentioned that fire damage property, which we might get into. Uh, bought that last month of that first year in the business um, just because it didn't meet the typical wholesaling uh, box. Yeah, they don't and really I love think, fire damage stuff. You know, it's like a red flag, yeah. but uh, there's money to be made there. There sure is. Yeah. So um, pick that up. And then started just building the, the portfolio from there. So the portfolio, your uh, primary strategy, as you mentioned before the show was, uh, or is rather buy and hold, correct? 
Mm-hmm. And That's so correct. what uh, what market are you primarily invested in these days? So throughout Virginia, um, mm-hmm. I'm located in Williamsburg, Virginia. It's a 757 area. It's the um, Virginia Peninsula, Tidewater, Hampton Roads area. It, it's all the same. It's just different names for the same place. Uh, my portfolio spans from uh, south side, so uh, Norfolk, Virginia Beach area, mm-hmm. all the way out to about Richmond. Right. Um, so that down that whole I-64 corridor and places in between. And then uh, some, some more rural areas as well, over the water in the northern neck, um, more so down near the North Carolina border. But everything's in Virginia. So what do you like most about the buy and hold game? Just, you know, at, at first, I, I resisted it. That first year in the business, I was wholesaling. I thought, man, I, I, I think the, the key to the buy and hold game is understanding the, the strategy and the financing behind, behind it. Mm-hmm. There's so much more to it than just knowing, oh, I'm going to make X amount per month running out of property. It's, you know, when I say strategy and financing, of course, a lot of your listeners know the Burr strategy mm-hmm. and how you can have a huge liquidity event after you renovate that property that's not taxable income that still allows you to keep that property with no money in the deal and, uh, you know, essentially have your tenant pay that uh, pay that monthly mortgage payment and tax mm-hmm. payment insurance payment each month um so that's kind of what it is for me i resisted buying and holding at first because i you know i always heard about the, the what is it the three t's tenants toilets and termites and i said yeah. you know what i don't i don't think i'm very interested in any of those things but um and uh, you know i figure i'd much rather have a ten thousand dollar check for a month of work than you know renovating place just to make a thousand or two thousand bucks a month so yeah what i learned and what i love about it, though is it took me a little while to learn, um, you know, kind of look a level deeper as an investor and see the, the value of getting paid more than once. So, you know, if it's a bird deal, I get that big liquidity event up front. I still got that monthly income and the, the tax appreciation of ownership. And then the ultimate sale of that property, if or when I sell it. That's what I love about the buy and hold strategy is the ability to build up consistent, consistent income that I can count on. And also all the many different ways to make money throughout the process. Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of profit centers, and it's it's almost like yeah. a forced high interest savings account because, you know, if you get any sort of appreciation, maybe you get none, but the pay down is almost a type of appreciation. So, you know, there's lots of profit centers in buy and hold, and that's why you see people, you know, all wealth is either made or held in real estate, and that's one of the big ways that people hold it is just, you know, getting other people to go to work to pay those mortgages. So. We talked about the good stuff. What what maybe isn't so great about it? About the buy and hold strategy? Yeah, and just to be about being in that business. Like there's the obvious one. I mean, uh, the termites thing isn't a big uh, big thing in, in, in my market, but definitely um, you know, in this in the south southern United States, that's a that's a big thing. Termite damage, termite inspections, yeah. you know, they're chewing up your houses. Yeah. Um, well, you know. First thing, just a quick thing off of that, a termite inspection, um, you know, can be, can be a great, when, when you're under contract on a property, can be a great ROI before you even buy the property. Just getting mm-hmm. that, spending the hundred bucks for the inspection, get a report back. You know, uh, I feel like termites might even be the first of those three T's for a lot of people. And that's a great way to save on your acquisition of a property just by that a hundred dollar inspection. Hey, we found 
you know, we found all this work that needs to be done, if it does indeed truly need to be done. Um, but some of the other bad things about the ownership, you know, it's, you're going to, you're going to spend time on the properties. You're, mm -hmm. you're going to be spending time or having your management team spend time. Um, I have a manager. I'm fortunate enough to have a manager that helps me with the maintenance, but um, I'm still the one kind of orchestrating, you know, where he goes and what he does and when he goes to one property versus another and just kind of helping him manage the uh, um, just the, the schedule. But so that's, that's definitely one thing is just the continued, you know, each property does become a little bit of a job. It does. It's, mm -hmm. it's not completely passive. Um, some are for a while until they're not. Um, yeah, and then of course, not, I like that. Some yeah. are for a while until they're not. Until they're not. You know, every, Every property is passive until it's not. And yeah. some days it's every other day that it's not passive, but every other day it is passive. But um, of course, the other thing is the, the defaults. If you have an occupant default, it's never good. And um, how are the know, tenancy uh, rules in, in your favor or against your favor out there? They're in our favor. Um, and I, well, yeah, I would say that they're fair, but probably a little bit more in the landlord's favor. Um, Virginia, uh, had been a blue state. Now it's a red state, uh, governor wise, but the landlord tenant act really didn't change much, much. Um, it's pretty standard. It, it's thankfully we're not like the Connecticut's or, uh, Washington's or New York's of the world, but, mm -hmm. um, it's typically, you know, a seven day or I'm sorry, it's now a five day pay or quit. It was a little different during COVID though. It's a five day pay mm -hmm. or quit. It's you know, then three weeks out, you got your court date and then um, they've got 10 days to appeal. If they don't appeal, you get your date with the sheriff. You come out and you get the locks changed and they've yeah, got so a relatively that. short order to get the yeah. defaulted tenant out of there. So apart yep. from that, have there been any major challenges you've had to overcome in your real estate journey so far? Definitely. There's definitely been challenges. First one I'll say, it's probably a little bit more vague. Um, you know, people ask me how I've build a portfolio quickly, especially when I had a W2 job. And I, mean, I just mm. say, it, like I said earlier, every property is passed until it's not. It does become a way of life. Um, you know, you're constantly searching for deals. You're constant. you know, you might get, typically I don't have tenants call me late at night, thankfully, but I do mm -hmm. get texts to the, um, to the tenant line and everything that sometimes you might need to address someone at least over text. I would say though, the biggest challenges i mean there's the there's the classic ones right like um finding a good hard money lender or private money lender um learning how to comp properties um another one that's been a challenge it usually works out is a seller signing a contract then deciding not to sell to you it's yeah. like hey you know if, if i decide not to buy your property after signing a contract i would be held to a standard so yeah. i let my seller have the same privilege i treat them to the same standard <laughs> is how I'll put it. Um, you know, we've had probably two or three times now had to get lawyers involved just to pursue a transaction to the to the finish line. Um, um, they change their mind or they want more yeah. money or exactly. You, know, you have to yeah, you do have to like uh, pursue them to the same extent because you don't you definitely know that if you were defaulting on buying that that they would be exercising their rights within the contract as well. You're exactly right, and that's why I say I, I allow them the same privilege they allow me. Mm. So when it comes to real estate, what would you, what do you think your secret sauce is? You know, what comes easily to you that maybe some other people find difficult to do? Um, 
I've allowed it become a little bit of a way of life. Um, you know, it's for me, it's a hobby and I enjoy it. Um, but I don't want to say that like it's not a business. It is a business. It's just a, a mm -hmm. business I enjoy that doubles as a hobby. So um, I think for me, the secret sauce has been I'm just always looking for different opportunities, um, looking for opportunities and looking for ways where I can help. You know, sometimes certain sellers, certain property owners, they have just a certain situation that needs handled, needs conquered. And I yeah. like to let the deal and the property owner kind of speak to me. And then from there, I'll figure out highest and best use of the property, whether it's a quick cash deal, fix and flip or a wholesale or a more creative seller finance deal or a, a mortgage takeover with a subject to transaction. It just all depends. So I say all that because I think that might be um, my secret sauce as I'm not a, uh, you know, one size fits all type of strategy investor. Uh, I let the deal speak to me. I let the owner speak to me and um, I'll figure out from there the best use of the property and the best way to kind of make everyone happy in the transaction. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a guy out of uh, Ontario, Ryan Carr. He's got a book called the highest and best use playbook. And I think you guys would really hit it off. You should check it out. Uh, yeah. Thanks. So where do you want to go in the next 12 months? You know, what are you aspiring to do with the real estate business over uh, into 2024? So that's a great question. I've been looking more so into um, multifamily deals. Uh, picked up my first very small multifamily property just a couple months ago. Yeah. Um, here, here in 2023. So um, looking into larger multifamily deals, there's, there's a team I've been talking to that does hotel to apartment conversions. Oh, yeah. And I might put together some of the, a little bit of the risk capital that they have to put up while they're doing their entitlements process before they get their deal closed. Uh, so I'm looking at doing risk capital. Um, and for anyone listening, a good question you always want to ask a, an operator if you are doing risk capital, which is probably one of the lesser talked about ways to invest in, in multifamily or, or conversions, mm -hmm. is how much of that bucket is truly risk capital and how much of it is refundable EMD. It's a helpful mm -hmm. thing to always know. And for me, in this scenario, it's about a 90-10. 90 is refundable EMD. About 10% is, is at risk. So and this that's is for them to like instantiate the deal and maybe yeah. deposits and things like that, like risk capital on the front at the acquisition side. Exactly. In this case, I've got about a six-month period to get all their entitlements and zoning changes with the municipality uh, of which the property is located. And you know, that, that all costs real money. So they, they mm -hmm. raise that just like they raise from limited partners, you know, preferred return money and everything like that to raise the equity of the purchase. So um, getting into some more of these larger deals and just having another side to my portfolio, um, just another tool on the Swiss army knife, so to speak. Uh, but also, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of mentors and good friends of mine in the business always say this, um, focus on what you're good at. And for mm -hmm. me, it's for, for the next year, I don't want to sound like it's status quo because in many ways it won't be, but in the way that it will be status quo is I'm going to be doing the same thing I've been doing just hopefully at a higher level. You know, I've got a maintenance guy now that that's a recent development in my business. Um, so a 1099 paid maintenance, maintenance worker who can help me with those um, tasks at the properties and service calls. So then, hey, there's one thing, you know, I'm still, I still have maintenance calls every year, mm -hmm. like I will have in the past. Now that's one area where I'm able to pull myself from that, 
from that part of the business, or at least 80% of pull myself from about 80% of that. Yeah. Buy your time um, back. Exactly. So it's really, it's, it's the same stuff. It's burrs, it's wholesales, it's buying with seller financing, it's selling with seller financing or um, renting places out traditionally or on rent to own type of a contract, but just at a higher volume and with more um, just, just the, the mind is more business focused now, especially now that I don't have the W2 anymore. I can really just fully focus in and stay focused. Yeah, you've got the time. So, you know, with all you've accomplished so far in real estate, what would you say your biggest obstacle uh, would be now? It's, uh, yeah, probably that. Just um, focusing in and staying focused because um, when you've got a W-2 job, this is no secret to any of the listeners, you've got someone for better or worse, kind of looking over your shoulder at all times to make sure you're accountable. And um, I, I joke with my friends. I, I joke that I'm retired now at 25 years old because I left mm -hmm. the corporate world. Um, and the actuality is, you know, some on some Wednesdays I, or Tuesdays or whatever weekday of the week, I choose to be retired. But then there's Sundays where I look at stuff. I go, man, I got an abbreviated week because of my, quote, retirement schedule that I got to work on Sunday. And that's mm -hmm. not good, but you know, sometimes it has to get done. So it's just staying focused and holding, holding myself accountable. And um, that's probably one of the hardest parts is, yeah. you know, I was having this conversation the other day with another investor and, uh, and they were going on about like, Oh, you know, I can start whenever I want. And it's like, yes. So when, right. When are you going to do it? Cause no one is going to be there to say, Hey, you're five minutes late. That's you. And so that inner cycle is probably one of the most difficult things for people when they leave that W-2 is like they're used to having a schedule and someone above them saying, hey, you're not at work yet or why aren't you here or why didn't you do your thing? And so then that becomes you. And can you can you be disciplined enough to be your own boss in that in that cycle where you take the worker hat off, you put the manager hat on and you yell at yourself and you take that off, you put the worker hat back on. It's like a yeah. charades or a puppet show because you really do have to be um, both the boss and and the executioner and you know if if you're not bossing yourself around you might take too many retired days in a week you know yeah no you're exactly right but then again that's where the balance comes in right because that's also kind of why we do this right if we want to take you're the self-motivated individual you know some people need yeah. a an accountability partner or a coach or mentor and then as soon as they're done with their mentorship they kind of fall off. They fall back into their natural uh, mm -hmm. state of being without someone, you know, checking on them every week or, you know, expecting things from them every week. They, yeah. they fall back into that, that category. But a guy like you, who's been, you know, going to the rich area of town and selling popcorn, like no one told you to do that. You did that and you right. executed it. And no one was like, Hey, you need to sell more popcorn. You're like, no, I, need to sell more popcorn. So that's really a, a big shift that you see with a lot of, especially young entrepreneurs such as yourself is that uh, I remember my mentor used to say there's a, there's like a one to 3% of the population that are um, self-actualized in that way where they're, they, they don't need to be told what to do. They need to, they are the ones that excel when given the information on how to do things, but they never need to be told to do things. So it looks like you're probably you're probably in that category for sure. So when you look at your scale the next 12 months, um, what are you going to do to fund this expansion? Because with expansion means expansion of all things, management, deal flow, 
uh, people and contractors, um, and, and ultimately capital. So how do you plan to fund this expansion? Yeah. Um, well, and first off, thanks for what you just said. I, I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, so for, for funding this expansion, um, I, I had a lunch meeting today with a, with a fellow investor. Um, he, he made, he focuses in duplexes and investing in duplexes. Mm -hmm. And I told him this season of my life, I am being conservatively aggressive. A mm -hmm. um, little bit of a uh, oxymoron there, but um, it's really probably the best way of saying it. I am being aggressive and I'm buying, but I'm making sure that it's in a conservative way that's safe for the business. So mm -hmm. um, to answer your question, it's just, it needs to be a good mix of both active and passive income opportunities that I'm pursuing. Um, and if that active income opportunity is a bird deal where I'm able to refinance and have a, have a big liquidity event, not, not just breaking even and having no money in the deal, but really having a big liquidity event in lieu of flipping that property, then to me, that's, that's almost the same thing as a fix and flip. And once rates go down, hopefully that property is cash flowing more than break even. Mm -hmm. Um, and then if that's a big liquidity event, let's say $50,000, um, and a refinance, then I've got, depends on the deals, I've got anywhere between one and five or 10 down payments for properties, just depending mm -hmm. on the size of those deals. And those seller finance deals, especially in this market or sub two deals, mm -hmm. those are the ones that really need to be bringing in that passive income where I can kind yeah, of- Because those things are, you know, it's, it's like I, I was saying on another uh, episode, the banks better straighten up or we're all going to figure out that we don't need them so much anymore. Cause uh, when you can go directly to the sellers and start getting financing and, and people such as ourselves become more uh, equipped to have that conversation and to actually set those deals up. Yeah. Um, you know, the investing partners and capital partners and, you know, like money not deployed is, is losing money. So when we're out there buying on seller finance and sub two, yeah, there's a mortgage in place, but they're not getting the instantiation fees. They're not getting the new mortgage fees. We're literally just taking over uh, an existing servicing and an existing debt. And um, yeah, if they don't start straightening up those interest rates, we're just going to keep getting better at not using them. So right. as far as, as far as capital, like what, what's one of your strategies that you use right now to get access uh, to money to fund your deals? So definitely my personal network. Um, mm -hmm. So networking I do in local real estate um, RIA meetings um, or, or different clubs. They're, you know, they're not all called. If, if any listeners are looking for local RIAs, um, they're not all called RIA or Real Estate Investor Association. So, but you know, just yeah, local. They might be like a property managers meetup or a entrepreneurs meetup. You know, they go, go on a bunch of different names. I like using meetup.com. What, what is it that you're, you're going about to expand your network and, and get into new rooms? Meetup's great. Um, Facebook groups I found, mm -hmm. or uh, mm -hmm. Facebook groups and Facebook events have been good as well. And then once you're there, that, that's kind of your, your ticket to the rest of them, right? you know, you're meeting people, you're talking to them. It's always just good to ask, Oh, what are some other meetups you're going to lately? Or, um, what are some events you're going to? And I love more than I love these, um, um, these conferences I travel to. I love the local conferences, you know, mm -hmm. small rooms of two to 300 people, 
bigger than a RIA meeting, but it's much smaller than a you know conference that you fly yeah, into. Yeah, might be three Vegas. or five thousand people. Yeah. Yeah, I love those local conferences. Those are probably not probably those are better than even the RIA meetings for networking. But until you find your first RIA meeting, you're probably not going to know about the local conferences or the other RIA meetings or the landlord mm-hmm. lunch that meets you know every Tuesday, whatever it is. Um, but it's the networking that's been key for me. And, you know, I, I do tell people, Bryce, you asked earlier, it's kind of real estate's become a bit of a way of life. I think any self-employed person, no matter their industry or vertical, will agree with that. Um, so, you know, I always tell people if they ask me, oh, how'd you do it with having a W-2 job? And how'd you build this portfolio? And how'd you break out of the W-2 world? I already say, it's going to be a little bit of a way of life. You got to be willing to take that on. So that's also, you know, where I'm finding some funding sources. I tell people, hey, if you've got a small amount that you just want to get involved and you don't want to deal with those three T's we talked about, mm-hmm. you know, anywhere between ten dollars to $30,000 is typically the sweet spot I need in my business for funding down payments. Yeah, definitely. And, it doesn't take much. I mean, what what's your average purchase price out there? I would say um, probably one fifty is a good number. Yeah. And is that uh, still need work or is that relatively turnkey, like paint it up maybe and put someone in there? Um, depends on the neighborhood, depends mm-hmm. on the ARV, but typically at 150, um, you're probably putting, and some of them are certainly still under a hundred thousand too. You know, I did some recent projects at under a hundred thousand. I'm probably putting 10 to 20 into that and having a good bird deal. Um, cleaning up the flooring and the paint a little bit, maybe maintenance in the kitchen, something, exactly. maybe a new toilet and it's ready to go. Yeah. Kind of fixing up those touch points, switches, faucets, fixtures, things like that. But, um, you know, 10 to 20 is a, is a good number for rehab costs. But yeah, if you're at that lower end for acquisition price, a $60,000 rehab is not uncommon. Yeah. Cause you, it's either you buy it done or you do it yourself. So, Right. Uh, touching back on the networking, what have you found to be most effective to keep touch with, um, you know, investor prospects and people you meet at these, uh, at these events? Uh, definitely making sure not only do you exchange business cards, but you actually get each other's numbers in your phones. Yeah. Because if you just rely on someone or yourself to put that number into your phone manually later, once you get home, mm-hmm. most often you're not going to do it. You're going to forget it's going to get put onto the to-do list with a million other things. So I would just make sure we exchange actually on our phones, exchange contact info. And I'll just send a text, hey, Chase, you know, Chase Canova. And I'll have them do the same thing, you know, send me their name back. Um, and if someone says anything interesting, I'll follow up with them typically that same week. I'll say, hey, you know, you were talking about, you were talking about this. Um, do, you, do you have a second? I want to talk to you a little bit more about that or had a few questions or you know, especially if they're wholesalers, I'll, I'll follow up as well in that way. Um, and then it's just staying in touch. I like to friend people on Facebook and follow mm-hmm. them on Instagram. Yeah. Um, those are probably my two biggest social media channels. So I like to stay in touch that way. Just so even when we're not one-to-one reaching out, we're still seeing each other. and yeah, watching each other's uh, feeds, as it, as it said. Exactly. Yep. 
So as far as deal finding, let's switch gears for a second. Are you a uh, find the deal and then get the money or do you prefer to have um, the capital lined up and then go looking for deals? I'm laughing because it's uh, sometimes pretty stressful. I am definitely a find the deal, then get the money person. That is the more stressful way to do it. I mean, my mentor is always saying, you know, that the money follows the deal. And so I've always been a deal first guy, but you know, in the, in the buy and hold and the burn method, uh, and a lot of times you can have the capital kind of ready to deploy, maybe not all of it, but enough to get you in the game. So, mm -hmm. um, are you, you know, as far as like your acquisitions go, are you mostly still doing the, the cold calling or are you, have you pivoted to like the private side yet? Um, a little bit of both. I still, I still do my own targeted cold calling and I, I um, make sure I delineate that it's pretty targeted cold calling when I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. um, might be a, a certain house I've seen, a pre-foreclosure, um, you know, a, a personal just philosophy is I always, beyond just the cold calling, I always talk to neighbors when I'm at a property. Always. Mm -hmm. If I'm at a property, I see somebody, I talk to them because um, they, they know better than we do what's going on in that neighborhood and who's selling Find the nosy neighbor, the person who comes out to see why you're standing around with the clipboard with the book in hand. They're like, hmm, exactly. what is that guy doing? Walk exactly. over and talk to them. What's the story with this thing? You know? Yeah. Cause you're not the only person they've been nosy with and that's the exact person you want to know. So, um, I do my own cold calling. I, I do direct mail and I'm doing uh, Google AdWords pay-per-click as well. Nice. Yeah. The, the, those have been, um, you know, those seem to be coming up time and time again, is that for a while it was kind of a loss leader to be in the pay-per-click game, but it seems that um, those algorithms and people are becoming more comfortable putting their information into those things and, and actually being like, oh, yeah, I'll get a number from, from Chase here. I'll get, I'll submit it and see what he mm -hmm. thinks my property is worth to him. So um, on the, on the money side, when when you present your deal to a uh, a possible investor, you know someone you met at that networking event, or maybe someone you met from another type of like a landlord lunch or whatever. How do you go about doing um, that presentation? Um, I'm I'm a big fan of just kind of keeping things casual, um, and that's maybe why I only lasted about two and a half years in corporate America, but, mm. um, I don't want to, you know, send a handwritten invitation and tell someone to meet me at this date and time for their own special deal presentation. Like, yeah, it's just, it puts too much into it. Um, and not to say that other investors do that, but I just like to make an example of how casual I like to keep things. Um, it's just a, it's just a phone call. Let's, you know, shoot the breeze for a few minutes. If I call them up after a meetup and, you know, the next day or something, I'll just say, Hey, got this deal last night at the meetup. You talked about, you talked about this. Um, so I thought you might be interested in it. And Hey, if you're not no big deal, but I just wanted to share it with you. Mm -hmm. um, a mentor of mine actually likes to use the term, um, particularly for syndication deals uh, when he's raising capital for syndications, he likes to say, he likes to share with someone the deal and He'll reach out and say, hey, let's set up a time. Let's set up a call. Um, I really want your opinion on this deal. Mm, that's a good tip. If you're listening at home, that's a great way of framing it because it's uh, it's not going to put someone on their heels. Right, 
Right. And, you know, it's um, it caters to the ego a little bit. It's, hey, I, I respect you. You're a smart person. I want your opinion on this. Yeah, I, I do that when I'm calling realtors too on the cold call is I'll never bring my opinion to the phone call and I'll let them. I find that the realtors that have deals um, are of a particular type and they love they love to express their their opinions. And if you give them the space mm -hmm. to do so, they might even get to showing off a little bit and showing off to them means like, look at all the other stuff I got. And it's like, now you're in, now you're into the pocket listing. So yeah. definitely a, that that's a, that's a great strategy for like, cause you already know it's a good deal. You bring it to the table and you're like, what do you think of this deal? And it's like in your yeah. head, you're like, I already did the numbers. I know this is a good deal. So it's like kind of like a, a setup in a way that they're going to look at it and uh, make their own opinion of it instead of you having to tell them, oh, this is a great deal. You should look at it. It's like, well, that's your opinion, right? right? And in sales, like when you're when you're telling, you're selling, and when you're listening, you're actually able to build some opinions. So on, the, on that point, you know, for people to invest significant amounts of money and capital into, you know, businesses and real estate investments, they they typically need to know you, like you, and trust you. So what are you doing for that in your business right now to kind of build up those different categories to, you know, present yourself that way? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, building a personal brand first off, and that's probably the newest thing for me. You know, I mm -hmm. left my corporate job, uh, four or five months ago or so, six months ago. So, um, that's definitely one that I wasn't working on because I was just that, just quietly investing in the machine, right? You're the, you're yeah. the gear in the box. Exactly. And I did not want to draw attention to myself in that way. Now I am the investor. I'm the, you know, the CEO, the investor, the acquisition manager, I'm pretty much all hats. So uh, I'm building a brand around that and I'm working on creating as much content as I can about what mm -hmm. a day in life looks like, what I'm doing. I'll talk about different aspects of deals. You know, I'll, I'll shoot some short videos when I'm at properties. So first and foremost, building a brand, putting that on Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. Um, and then secondarily, for getting people to know, like, and trust me, um, I'm all about people being paid what their time is worth. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm, I'm a long-term long -term mindset person. So with that being said, you know, I've all, I've reached out to friends before, especially when I would like be traveling for um, work trips and stuff. I'd say, hey, I, I got to get an offer today on this deal. It's right up the street from you. Can you please go look at it? And a lot of people might just stop there. Can you please go look at? It? Hey, can you please go look at? It? Let me give you a hundred bucks for your time. Mm -hmm. I'll Venmo it to you because I know your time's valuable. I know you don't want to drop what you're doing today, but I need your help. Um, things like that, and then you know, vice versa. Um, always, you know offering to do things for other people. And if they're not mm -hmm. offering to pay, I'm, I'm good with it. You know, if I've got a friend uh, an hour away and I'm, you know, and I'm in a market half an hour from me, so an hour and a half from him, I'll gladly go check out the contractor's work and do photos and videos so he can inspect before a draw or something. I'll do that completely for free because I'm in the area. It's not far from me and it helps people know that this, we're all, you know, we're all kind of working we're all kind of rowing the boat in the same direction. It's all teamwork in, in a way. The real estate so, karma, right? You got to, you put it in and, and hopefully you get it back out. Yeah. It's a great way of saying it. Real estate karma. 
yeah, you do bad deals, it comes to get you too. So it swings both ways, guys, listening at home, you know, like it's the real estate network that you're in is not as big as you think it is. So, no. you know, as good as a positive interaction and helping a guy out, a negative interaction, that word travels just as fast and maybe even faster within the local network. So if you're a wholesaler out there, if you're a flipper out there, anyone handling private capital, doing deals, you know, it, you can't really get away with it in the age of social media anymore. People will connect to the Facebook groups and, you know, you don't pay a contractor or whatever, and they're going to go on the local trades and contractors and connect with the other guys and be like, oh, it's so-and-so. And then all of a sudden, you know, so just make sure you keep your real estate karma clean. So if speaking of networking and things like that, if, if people want to find out more, they want to connect with you, they want to invest with you, um, what should they do? How do they find you? Yeah. So on Facebook, just, just my name, Chase Canova. Um, and then on Instagram, my handle is the number two underscore chase. Uh, so either of those ways are good. Um, yeah, mainly Facebook and Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn a little bit also chase Canova on there. Yeah. Post up, posting some blogs, I imagine on, on LinkedIn. Yeah. So it's yeah, I mean, uh, very interesting. I love to hear that there's still like a cash flow down there in, uh, you know, where, where you're investing. And I'm sure the interstate helps to be able to move up and down to, to check on those properties. Cause, uh, yeah, it's it, sometimes it's about, um, you know, staying close, but mostly like being accessible to your properties. So really interesting. And I, I hope big things for you this year. I think you got it under control and, you know, if you don't do anything, until you know you're 30 or 35 and you just stay retired you'll still be good because you already locked in uh some great properties thanks bryce i appreciate that yeah no problem and uh i really appreciate you being on the show yeah thanks for having me it was great yeah no problem and until next time guys we'll catch you on the next episode